0: Joining me for however long for this hour of Rogue Grace, this is PJ, honored to be with you, honored to be here. Let me tell you, don't I have a great, quote, job, don't I, to come on the radio like this day by day? And talk about the grace of our Lord? I mean, isn't that a good job? Now, I'm thinking, I have a doctor's appointment today at in the afternoon uh, for some x-rays on my head. I've had numerous, innumerable I should say, x-rays on my gut. Okay, so I'm thinking, chances are you wouldn't want to swap places with me for the most part, but on this one, yeah, you might, I'm blessed. Right now, I want to talk to you about the story of a lamb. You know it well, but do you know how intrinsic, how deep it really goes? It goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Let me tell you about the story. Where Adam and Eve messed up pretty bad. We're still experiencing, as my dad has said, the fallout of that atom bomb. He's been saying that for about 40 years now. It's true. (laughs) So God gave them, in order to cover their new discovered nakedness, the skin of of an animal, I suggest, there in the garden, it was the skin of a lamb, sacrifice that will cover them. Okay, and then their son Abel, his sacrifice, unlike his brother Cain, was accepted by God, by the Lord, because he sacrificed, he offered a lamb. Let's keep going. There in the Exodus, the reason why the people of Israel, of Jacob, were spared from that death angel on that Passover was not because they were superior, more spiritual. No, they may have been more spiritual, but that might be the difference between, as I've said before you and i having a leaping contest to see who can jump from the oregon coast to japan you might jump a few inches further than me so what so it wasn't that they were more spiritual or superior it was because they were each to sacrifice a lamb a lamb And then the prophets of old, following that, made it clear, Moses makes it clear, it's to be a male lamb. So we go from an animal, to a lamb, to a male, to behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world the world so so follow with me this this trajectory of the lamb begins with him a lamb saving a man adam eve right then it saves a family in the passover it saves a nation And then it saves the world. From a man to a family, from a nation to the world, who takes away the sins of the world. Now, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, we read that as a lamb, Jesus Christ not only had to die in order for us to be saved. Here's what amazes me this morning. He was glad to die. That's why I'm giving him the praise and the glory this morning on rogue grace. Let me read to you from Hebrews chapter 9 in the New Testament. The writer of Hebrews says in verse 14, how much more will the blood of christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to god purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living god therefore he is the mediator of a new covenant boy i love Hebrews chapter nine, I'm just tempted to start reading it all, but Jesus is the mediator of a new covenant. I remember my, one of my first dates with a teenager named Amanda. Now She's not simply Amanda DeBoer, she's Amanda Corson. So I was trying to show her how awesome I was. It was summer, we went to Applegate Lake. You know the bridge? If you drive by the first entrance of the gate, there's that bridge that you drive over. Well, I parked the car and got out. She got out too. We walked to the ledge You know, it's a, it's a fairly tall or it's a fairly high bridge. I wasn't going to let that stop me. Not when this young lady is watching. So I got up on the ledge and I leaped into the water down below and I promptly broke the fall with my face. Didn't feel so good as I sunk into the water, but I couldn't let her know. After all, I was still trying to show off, impress her, you know, she didn't know the real me yet. So I got to show off. Well, I'm in the water. My face is hurting. I get up out of the water. I say, come on in. You should jump. It's great. Water feels great. She had a pale look on her face and just starts shaking her head no and gets off the ledge if she was going to jump not anymore and gets into the car (sighs) no can do nothing so i got out of the water and climbed up the side of the hill and back up the bridge into the car my face was hurting not gonna let her know though just wonder why, why aren't you jumping? Why are you chicken out that much? Oh, you know, I was joking around. Then I looked in the rearview mirror to see if another car was coming so I could pull out. And I saw my face and I saw why she didn't jump. There was blood all over it. The blood of that offering that I just read about in Hebrews chapter 9. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, shows us he had to die, but also shows us in a certain sense he was glad to die, that it's out of his love. So in the Exodus, as you know, they put blood upon the doorpost. A, it shows the severity of the problem as GK Chesterton said when asked in an essay by the London times, what is the problem with the world? He writes two words. I am <laughs> even the pagan gods demand blood in cultures, civilizations, human sacrifices, God not only demanded blood of a lamb, a ram, a sparrow, but God gave his blood. One thing for God simply to say to people, I love you, it's another thing to show it. So it shows the severity of the problem that I am the problem. That's what it cost. It shows the solution to the problem. The blood it is saying you're no better than the egyptians that you despise or that enslave you don't you go try and meet that judgment without the blood dear israelite and we look at the news or see what's going on in our culture and it's easy to think that the world is so terrible and it is The bottom line is, so are you and I. We need the blood of Jesus. It's the solution. It speaks of the severity. And best of all, it's the substitution. The severity of the problem, the solution to the problem, the substitution for the problem. You have a problem, Israelite. You're going to die on the Passover, just like the Egyptian. You're no better than they are. But here is the solution. It's a substitution. You're not going to have a dead son like everyone else when the death angel passes over because you have a dead lamb. And as they're seated at that Passover table, that first Passover in Egypt, 3,000 years. Plus years ago, that oldest son would look at the dead lamb on the table and he would know, I am not dead because this lamb is. And at the Passover, the father, the leader of the, the meal would say, this is the bread of the father's affliction. We read. But now the lamb says, this is the blood of my affliction. So you ask a Hebrew, what are you doing? Why are you traveling on foot with your family to Egypt? Why? Are you doing that? I see here on my phone someone does not tune in to Rogue Grace. They're trying to call me, let me turn off the phone. <laughs> you ask them why are you doing this? This 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 journey to Egypt and this this meal on the Passover with the lamb. Why? And they will say we were freed and delivered and redeemed out of Egypt. And we're making our way through the wilderness. And we're on our way to a land that was promised all because of a lamb. (laughs) It's our story as well. Behold the lamb of God.
1: I will feast at the table of the Lord I will feast at the table of the Lord I won't hunger anymore At His table the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore at His table.
0: And it was at the table that Esther defeated her enemy. Satan himself sat at the table with Jesus and the 12 when he entered Judas. In both instances, the enemy was destroyed at the table. And we come to the table to defeat our enemies. Not because they are disposed of. We do not overcome them and then come to the table. We overcome them as we bring them to the table. Just like Esther and Jesus, if you would, brought their enemies to the table. I'm thrilled that the good shepherd doesn't set the table up after I've quieted my conscience and had victory over my flesh, but he sets it up as the flesh is pulling and as the conscience is demanding. A table is set up in the presence of my enemies. No wonder they call this thing the gospel, right? So someone just called a friend of mine, and his brother is going through some dark times, probably is being admitted into uh, the mental institution. And that's just another instance that seems to be right now very very common people are hurting in their minds and 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 don't we all at some point, point i mean yesterday i was struggling and so i looked it back up and it says he will guard your heart and your mind and keep it in perfect peace a peace that passes all understanding, Philippians chapter 4. I said so oh God, why is my why is my mind so down? And I wish I could say, and he answered me. No. I just kept on keeping on like you do. And here I am this morning, and it's okay. The Lord gives us a peace that passes understanding. Even if it's not an injection or a shot right then and there, he always comes through. I'm going to pray for this guy, his brother, right now. Father, he just called, and I pray that his brother would have peace of mind at this very moment. That you would heal his mind, and you would heal it because he's turning to you. For us all, Lord, anyone here who is having... Troubled minds, in one way or another, stress, anxiety, depression, illness, Lord, you are the one who can heal our minds as well as our bodies and you've healed our souls, our spirits. So I ask that you would heal anyone who needs that in their mind, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. we got some more cool stuff to talk about. We'll be right back.
2: There are days of taking more than I can give. And there are choices that I made that I wouldn't make again. I had my share of laughter, of tears, and troubled times. This has been. By my fear and I struggle to believe but in those unclear moments you were the one keeping me strong this is how my story's always gone
0: Cast out the bond woman, but also her son, God said to Abraham. And God would be bountiful and provide for the bond woman and her son. For Hagar from Egypt and her son Ishmael. But that doesn't mean that Abraham was to keep them, he was to let them go according to Genesis. One of the reasons was that Ishmael was persecuting Isaac, the son that was promised Isaac, was being picked on when he was weaned. We, t- we are told by Ishmael so here is this young boy who now is able to eat or partake of solid meat he's not only taking milk as Hebrews 5 says those who are unskilled take only milk but now he's able to eat the meat and he's getting picked on persecuted pounded So God says, take out the bond woman and not only her, take out her son. So we look at these two boys, Ishmael, the son of the the bond woman, and Isaac, the son of Sarah. They're brothers, aren't they? But... They're brothers from another mother, as we say. They share the same father, but they are brothers from another mother. Who was their mother? Ishmael's mother is the law, according to Paul. Speaks of the law, legalism for us. The law of God in the Bible. Isaac's mother speaks of grace. Don't just throw out the law, that is legalism, as the bondwoman, but also her son. Who is her son? He's not only the law, he's a kind of mixture of the law and grace. And when people are picking on you, acting like Ishmael did to little Isaac, you gotta know, they're throwing stones, they're hurling accusations, they're judging you, but you have to realize the mother they are from is not your mother. Their mother is the law. Your mother is grace. Do you you see what I'm, what not only I'm saying, but what the book of Galatians is saying is what I'm quoting all of this from. So often people mix like Ishmael was a mix between the law and Abraham, right? Or the law and faith. Where Isaac was a combination of faith, which is Abraham and grace, (laughs) right? And the people that mix it up, the law and faith start throwing rocks, picking on those that don't. Do you go to a church where you pick on those that are walking in the grace of God just because they don't do it the way you do it, or they don't act the way you act, or they don't live the way you live. And I'm not saying blatant sin. I'm talking about the things that, the rules that we lay down, that we expect, that impress us. Don't be an Ishmael. You got some faith, but then you also got some law. It's what I call gra, right? Grace and the law. Gra. No, no. It's not grace and the law. It's grace upon grace. John chapter 1. The law and grace cannot live under the same roof. Don't do grah. So now, law is no more. It is totally grace. Grace. <laughs>
3: I was shattered by the fall, broken and forgot, feeling lost and all alone. Summoned by the king into the master's court, lifted by Oh
0: The message of the cross is all that is needed for a lost world. For the cross is God's way of quieting a restless conscience. The reason? Somebody must pay for our sins and Jesus paid it all. See, you know, I realize people generally understand, I think, that God is holy and that God is just and that God must punish sin. I think everyone in their heart of hearts has some kind of concept, yes, when there is evil and there is a God, God must punish evil. God must punish sin. But therein lies the problem. For sin is on their hour, the world's conscience. And that is why people do drugs, mess around, get smashed, rob, blaspheme commit adultery. It's because they are avoiding God. Sin is on their conscience. See, when you know you owe someone, you avoid that person, (laughs) generally speaking. I mean, not for you and me, but I'm just saying when you owe someone, you avoid that person. The fastest way to destroy a relationship is to borrow money lend money. Either give it or don't, but don't lend money. It'll kill a relationship. Don't lend money if you have a friendship with that person. It's not just with the lender though. The lender can be generous and doesn't mind that the deadline has hit and the debt hasn't been paid. There's still an uneasiness trying to avoid that person Maybe even subconsciously because the debt is there. That is why I love the cross. It allows me to come to God knowing my debt has been overpaid. My sin has been washed away. Because when you look at the cross... And your conscious cries, somebody must pay. You point to the cross and say, there is the payment. He was bruised. He was crushed. He was lacerated. So that we might not be. And then the conscious looks at that perfect payment. The punishment I deserve, you deserve. And it says, okay, peace, it's paid. So you don't have to wound yourself or slit your wrists or numb on drugs when you know that Jesus suffered it all for you. When you realize it's amazing grace. (laughs) To be a champion of grace Paul Before known as Saul Was a very Very unlikely candidate He was a very legalistic person In his own words he says I wasted the church That's a mafia term He was part of the religious mafia. But as you know, on that road to Damascus, God stopped him in his tracks and made him a preacher of grace. And it was Paul who would say about the Jewish people, I want them saved for they have zeal, but a lack of knowledge. Notice, he doesn't say they have a lack of zeal. The Jews didn't, don't, the Orthodox. No, he says they have a lack of knowledge. The knowledge of the gospel. Spiritual knowledge for salvation and forgiveness of sin. They don't lack zeal, but they do lack knowledge, he says. Then, he says... Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness. Romans chapter 10. Christ is the end of the law unto righteousness. Don't think of it as, don't treat it as Christ is the beginning of the law unto righteousness. He'll get you started. That's gra. Nope. Christ is. Is the end of the law, not the beginning. He has fulfilled the law perfectly, but Paul says he is the end of the law. And I think it can be so easy, and there are too many Christians who are seeking to establish their own righteousness instead of his righteousness. you are righteous because of God. Therefore you are the righteousness of God. God loves you so much. He has given you a hundred percent righteousness. Wow. No wonder it is called good news. Be established in this righteousness. I mean, how do you see this manifest in your life, both in blessing and in holiness? I'll tell you, seek it, pursue it, remember it, meditate on it. Then the blessings of righteousness will overtake you. For your heart is not going to be set on things or the world or the law, but on righteousness. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Then all these other things are going to fall into place, set in the right place, in the right order and added unto you. Jesus He's not only so smart, he is so gracious. How we love him. Jesus, I pray in the Rogue Valley, you would be glorified and honored today. So come on out tonight for just that, more of Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God, as we gather to pray in the upper room, that little studio, whatever you want to call it there. As you drive into the church grounds will be filled with people there to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. I wrote a little something on my blog yesterday. I'm going to probably write another thing today. Uh, So check it out for whatever it's worth. Peterjohncorson.com. And yeah. Yeah. It is finished. God bless you.